0: Welcome to Walking with Wealth Managers. I'm Libby Ashby and for this episode I'm walking with Lorne Baring, Managing Director at B Capital. So we're walking around Ardington House near Wantage in Oxfordshire. So before we get started, Lorne, can you explain why we're here in this beautiful setting?
1: Yes, um, well thank you very much for coming to see the house and to see me. The house is uh, our family home, um, it's a beautiful house built 300 years ago um, and has a lot of history connected to a Victoria Cross winner from the Crimean War. That's why there are two solid shot cannonballs on the front steps of the house which were fired oh, wow. in the Crimea, which is quite relevant to what's happening in the Ukraine today. Mm. The house is also used, as you can see, the big marquee here down by the river, the house is used. A lot in the summer we have a, a wedding business here so we see about 40 brides every summer 40. Who, who get uh, get married here and we have an island on the river which is where most of the ceremonies now happen and um, the bride comes on a boat and arrives at the island to the surprise of all the guests and you can see there there's a folly where they get married underneath and oh, beautiful. it's incredibly romantic that is the Ridgeway that you can see up on the horizon there and this area is famous for um, king alfred whose statue is in wantage and king alfred from here uh, from this village went up to that hill over there and that's where the battle of ashdown was fought which is a famous battle because the vikings had taken over the whole of the country and were coming from the north and the east and they only had wessex you know what is now the southwest to conquer (coughs) And then they would have the whole country, but he managed to go up there and they fought a pitched battle up on the Ridgeway. And they turned back, having lost the Vikings, turned back, having lost the battle, crossed the Thames at Reading, and they never crossed again. Um, and from that point onwards, Wessex continued to be uh, run by the Anglo Saxon kings, and that's why King Alfred is, is uh, you know, uh, his statue's in, in Wantage in the Market oh. Square. So. There's another sort of interesting military connection.
0: Definitely. So well before the house was you, ever built. You mentioned the military. I know that's where you, you <laughs> started out. So how did you end up yeah. uh, from Sandhurst to running your own investment management firm?
1: Yeah. Well, um, yeah, you're right. I spent nearly ten years in the British Army, and I had travelled extensively in all of that time and used my languages quite a lot. Um, And when I was leaving the army, I knew that I wanted to go into into finance and um, wasn't sure what I would be doing. But I was interviewed by the chief exec of Barclays who wanted uh, linguists in the wealth management side, particularly anybody who could speak Portuguese, which I I can speak. And um, I found myself on the Latin American desk of, of what was then a brand new Barclays private bank, which was its own little bank owned by Barclays Group but operated completely like a, a very small private bank. With There were 300 of us um, in the entire private bank in those days. Um, so what year was that? 98 Okay. and in my you know my first month I think it was we had the Russian default and the collapse of long-term capital management LTCM so uh, that was my first crisis uh, in banking sector and i spent 10 years at barclays um, as as always as a private banker managing a number of teams including the europe and america's team for for barclays what is now barclays wealth Um, and always focusing on latin uh, countries really um, focusing on the languages that i spoke and or speak and 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 my teams as well so we had we had an amazing period because we from 98 to 2008, it really was a, a, an incredible uh, journey for for investors and and for us as as bankers. So it was a an incredible period. Of course, we did see a couple of crises, the Russian one that I first experienced, and then two years later we had the dot-com bust, uh, which was, you know, spectacular, um, but very quick for everything to recover. And then um, by the end of 2007, I just thought that perhaps the universal bank the big global bank idea was just a bit too big and too difficult to get right and i was managing the largest book of business globally for barclays which was a, an enormous amount of money and it was it was really it was too big it was getting too big and i just thought that we'd quite like to do something quite small and go back to what Barclays Private Bank was like when I first joined, when everybody knew each other in every department and the service level was the highest. I felt that it it had dropped off quite a lot by the end of 2007.
0: So I know in your time at uh, Barclays you were the highest revenue earning private banker. Yeah. And I mean, what sort of characterised that sort of time in your career then? That's
1: quite a claim to fame. Yeah, yeah. That was another reason why one, <laughs> one should do something because I think for the last three or four years on the on the global private banker sort of uh, score sheets, I was always number one. And um, where do you go from there? I could see probably um, sort of going to Canary Wharf and being a sort of divisional managing director or something like that. And that, 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 that didn't seem exciting at all. Um, and actually, it was, it was a number of my team members. You know, In B Capital today, we've got a lot of Barclays DNA, and it was some of the, the Barclays team members who said, look, you know, we can't just keep on growing this this business uh, exponentially. And the bank really wanted us to do another 20% and another 20%, and anybody who's ever been a private banker knows that every year, regardless of what the market's doing, they get slapped with a, a 20% increase. Uh, and I just felt that, um, you know, I think we had, I had $2 billion of assets to manage uh, and it, that's, that's just huge that's really. That's
0: considerable when some sort of small firms in the UK are running
1: sort of a quarter of that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't predict the crisis at all but I did think at the end of 2007 when Bear Stearns went bust that something wasn't going particularly right. When I set up BCAP at the beginning of 2008, um, it was the right next step for us. Um, we chose only a handful of clients to work with, uh, and Barclays therefore was very good at helping us. and And they accepted it. and And the the top bosses at Barclays chatted with me about, you know, what the message would be when I left after ten years at Barclays. And um, we, we were, you know, it was very amicable. and And Barclays gave a very clear message to the clients we wanted to work with. That they were there to support and and of course the clients kept their money at Barclays we just advise uh what to do with it and um and that was really helpful it was a non-aggressive way of setting up um some would say that we should have you know tried to get all of our clients from Barclays into our B capital mandate but actually um that was that was not exactly what we wanted to do we wanted to go back to being focused service-oriented, be really close to a few good clients rather than being spread too thin. What we do differently at B Capital, we we specialize in managing large passive portfolios. When I say passive, we use almost entirely ETFs to, to do the job. And I really believe that if you get the asset allocation right, you make good money. And there shouldn't be layers and layers of fees and there should be lots of transparency, liquidity and good control. And, and I think that ETFs offer that. So we are probably the only sort of ultra high net worth investment manager that, that is a, an ETF specialist.
0: What about the other services at B Capital? I know that um, you've gone into lending, am I right? And what about end financing?
1: We help clients borrow money from about 55 banks and lenders at the moment on yachts, planes, helicopters, properties, all sorts of things. If we, if we can help them uh, obtain finance, it, that's a really useful thing because it's so hard to get credit these days.
0: Last time I saw you, we, you were telling me about your travels to do extensive due diligence and that was to do with the client. So what are, where are your clients based? Sort of what what makes them different?
1: Well, um, yeah, we, you know, the. The slightly crazy position that we are in today is that we are the policemen and the gatekeepers um, for the tax offices and the you know, regulators around the world. Uh, one of our uh, new clients has uh, a lot of um, business revenue in East Africa and the job is to go and stand there and see that it's really happening, that it's, it's um, going on exactly as we understand it and that's really again very effective it's good for us it's good for the client it's good for the banks and so we do this job to be able to to conduct boots on the ground type due diligence which is also of course going back to my former life quite good fun as well it's <laughs> it's, it's quite you know exciting to go and see a power station being built on the drc zambia border and learn how it all fits and how it's being put together and to see it and you know it's um it's different it's it's a it's obviously a very varied job and it's it's great there you can now the house is coming back into view now very well yeah it's beautiful beautiful in the autumn like this
0: stunning colors. So uh, South Sudan and the DRC are pretty interesting places to go in the world but where else um, did that trip take you anywhere else or was it just to those two?
1: Yeah recently it's been very busy we've we've, um, we've been quite successful in the last two months in new business and that has required me to to travel uh, all over the place in fact uh, in one week I was in South Sudan, Kenya um, Zambia DRC part of the world and then uh, a few days later I was in Russia and Kazakhstan and on the Kyrgyz border and uh, the uh, yeah the border guards in in Kazakhstan couldn't couldn't quite understand the stamps in my passport because <laughs> they would seen that I'd sort of started in Switzerland then London then several countries in East Africa and then I was in you know uh, eastern Europe and finally arriving in Almaty and they, they just couldn't quite work out why why anybody would do that but you know <laughs> once again it's, it's a people business so you've just got to get out there and I, I i enjoy that you know
0: so what about your time in the army how is that what sort of i don't know what did you learn there which you're still using now or um is it a contact book or is it just
1: i would say the the, know-how? the, the main thing is communication um persuading people to do something they might be uncomfortable Doing, uh, which is the job of an officer, once the plan has been formed, you've got to tell people what the plan is and persuade them that they're doing the right thing. And you know, there may be some people who need convincing. And it's exactly the same in wealth management today. You've got to explain to clients that the world is not ending, that you know, the constant stream of news telling you that it is ending uh, is oversensitizing everybody. And in fact, you know, the world keeps turning.
0: And where did you serve when you were in the military?
1: Well, all over, really. I mean, if you do... You know, I was infantry, so if you spend time as an infantry officer, you're sent pretty much everywhere. As everybody knows, there's, there's always something going on. Um, and I, with my languages, did some, some great great jobs outside of the army on loan to other armies to um, advise and, and to, to help out. So, you know, I did some quite wacky things, like being the... Uh, ADC to the Chief of the General Staff of the Portuguese Army translating for him at a, a, um, a conference of when all the army generals get together from around the world. Um, I served in Africa quite a bit. I, When I was very young I was at a mountain guide on Mount Kenya. Climbed it probably about a dozen times. Um, and uh, I've been all over, Southwest Africa, Namibia, um, Mozambique, um, most of Europe. And, uh, you know, everybody knows the the army, the British army now is, I think about 82,000 soldiers, which is tiny. Uh, Mm. And yet it's incredibly busy. And I don't think the army has been this small since the early 1600s. Um, Goodness. Which is is tough, you know, the, the soldiers today can expect to be in so many different theatres in a short career it's absolutely incredible and you know I take my hat off to to all of them because they are doing such an amazing job under completely different rules today than 10 or 20 years ago and dealing with incredible challenges um, and and nuanced threats whether that's sort of in Estonia or whether it's peacekeeping and, and helping out in South Sudan. Um, and, and helping out in the Caribbean after storms. I mean, they're just incredible. I'm uh, very proud to, to have been a, a, an army officer and I'm incredibly proud of, of how the British Army operates today under such challenging circumstances.
0: Who would you say has been the most influential person um, in your career, or maybe the person who you've learnt the most from? That doesn't have to be in your career, it could be your sort of life in general.
1: It's a good question. Does it have to be alive?
0: No, I wouldn't say so.
1: Well, I read a lot about Winston Churchill, and he had a a fascinating career as a young soldier, um, and then a journalist, and obviously as a politician. And uh, he went through some amazing periods of failure, all sorts of disasters, um, and, you know, goes down in history as, as, as one of, if not the greatest British politician. Um, so it's always fascinating to read about these historical figures I think I spend more time reading about history now than I ever did at school I rather regret that I <laughs> You were I, too
0: young to appreciate it though. I no? ducked history and
1: did, I did languages so you know I, I've yeah. ended up speaking in quite a lot of languages and, and that's great because I love the communication I love actually knowing what people are talking about I can't, can't bear being in a place where you can't understand what people are saying
0: What would you say has been your best memory of your career so far?
1: I think you know in career in the financial career, um, it would definitely be getting to the other side of the financial crisis with a boutique firm that I set up in. You know, we, we opened our doors on the first June two
0: thousand eight. Wow! So September.
1: Yeah, in our first quarter, in our first quarter, Lehman's went bankrupt. Getting to the other side of that by about you know. summer of 2009 when the market had started to come back up from the low of 666 in March 2009 that's the S&P 500 you know once it's once it has started to come back up and everybody was still shocked and pretty terrified but but knowing that we got through it and that we were going to survive was was you know quite a big moment Um, I, I if I was to start my own investment firm all over again and you told me that something like Lehman's was going to happen in my first three months. again. I'm not sure I'd do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah,
0: no, that's understandable. When do you think AI could end the wealth management industry as we know it now? Never. Really?
1: <laughs> Never. No, wealth management. How it, will it
0: change the industry to it will we definitely, it now? Yeah, it'll definitely. I mean, no, the, no. you
1: know, the, the number of people in finance... Uh, relative to the amount of money is definitely going to to shrink because there is great new technology helping everybody do things better but wealth management is still a people business Um, it's a bit like having a doctor you know it's great that there's there's great advances in in, uh, medical science but you'll still always want to go and talk to your doctor when you don't feel well And and wealth management is exactly the same you need to be able to talk to somebody when things aren't perfect. And, you know, we believe in ETFs and passives and and that's incredibly, efficient. that's part of the new era of wealth management and investment management. And we're right on the forefront of that wave, but you've still got to explain it to your clients and you've got to reassure them when they lose money in a week or in a month, why that's happening and whether it's necessary to make some changes. So your wealth manager is exactly like your doctor or he should be. Um, And if if it isn't like that, then the wealth manager isn't doing the right job. Well, John,
0: thank you very much.
1: Thank you.